together. Lord, we do thank you uh, for this opportunity that we have to gather together. We pray that as we open your word, that you would lead us and guide us and teach us. Uh, We thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us, that your Holy Spirit moves and, and leads and guides and shows us. We pray that you would do that this morning, that you would apply the truth of your word to our hearts, that you would Uh, illuminate our minds to be able to understand and receive and apply this to our lives. We pray that as we do this, that you'd be honored and glorified in it. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Glad you're here. Uh, Excited for a new year. Happy New Year. Uh, Exciting that we get to gather together right after the new year uh, here. You know, when we come to the new year, I often think about how uh, fresh start and new beginnings. And we often, uh, like to make new year's resolutions and things we're going to do, or things we're going to change, or I'm going to do this better this year. Uh, sometimes I think in that process, there comes some reflection on what we did last year, or maybe what we didn't do or what we want to do better. And so oftentimes the beginning of the year is kind of that time of reflection and thinking through, uh, maybe simplifying a little bit, like what do I want to focus on? What do I want to really be about? What do I want to make a priority in my life. And so I was thinking about that kind of as you often do, or I do anyway, beginning of the year. And so as we're going to start this year, what we're going to do for the next several weeks as we gather together is really kind of simplify and think about our mission of as a church, what God has called us to and what that looks like and really just start to emphasize uh, one of the things that I hope we're always emphasizing the mission that God's given us. And he's given us this mission as his church to go make disciples, that we are to make disciples who make disciples to the ends of filling the earth with his glory. That that's what we're called to do. That's the great commission that Jesus gave us. And oftentimes, I think when we gather together as the church, some of the most simple, basic things that God has called us to kind of get pushed to the side. We get really busy with other things and we miss out on the things that God's told us so clearly to focus on. And so for the next several weeks, we're just going to think about this idea of who we are as the church and what we're called to be, what that's supposed to look like, what God's called us to do and to be about. And as we do that, I want us to think about how we really grow in this as a discipling culture, as a church together. We're called to make disciples. That's our mission. And so how do we grow in doing that and doing that well? One of the things I've been reading a lot lately, just the last couple of years, is that when we want to have a culture together, we want to be about certain things, that we need a common language. That there's certain things that we all need to really understand and grasp and get together, that we need a common language to build a culture that moves in the same direction together. And so when we talk about this idea of discipleship and who we are as a church and to be able to do that well, uh, we, we at different times talk about different language or different things. One of the things that I say a lot, and we've been saying for probably about two years now, if you've been involved in a missional community group, you've probably heard it at some times. I say it different times from here, but oftentimes we'll talk about this idea of up, in, and out. If you've ever heard me say that before, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard it at least a few times. If you're in my missional community group, you've probably heard it a whole, whole lot. Uh, we talk about this idea of our relationship with God, with each other, and then with the world, the up, the in, and the out. All three of those being vitally important to what God's called us to be. And so if you're visiting today or you're kind of newer to the church and you don't really get exactly what that means or how those go together, that's what we're going to talk about today. I want it to be something that as we move through the next few weeks and we talk about who we are as a church 
and what God has called us to. We're going to kind of use that lens of up, in and out to help us kind of take stock of where we are and what God's called us to do. And so we'll keep coming back to that idea and how we do that and how that overlays all that we do. And so I want us to be thinking on that. But as we think on that, you could say, okay, well, that's great up in and out. That's a neat little way to remember it or to say it or whatever. But who cares? Why is that important? Before we even get to it, if it doesn't really make sense or we don't really even understand why we should care, then it's easy just to go, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's neat. But who cares? What I want to impress upon you before we even start is what we're looking at and what we're talking about, this idea of up, in and out, and how we'll see that. We're going to see that, I think, very clearly in Second Peter chapter 1. It's not my idea. It's not something we made up or came up with a neat little way to remember things, but it's very biblical. It's all through the way you see discipleship and what God has called us to do in the world. But as we think about it, the who cares, I would just say this to you. Jesus calls us to be disciples to die to ourselves, to come follow him, all those images that we get, those things that Jesus calls us to, and he sends us out to go make disciples. And so we can hear that and we go, yeah, okay, that's great. But I want you to remember what Jesus says in the midst of that. He says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. When he prays for us in John 17, he prays that we would not be taken out of the world, that we'd be doing these things and walking in this way. And he says that your joy is going to be full. That this is what he calls us to. And so when we talk about who cares about having this balance of what Jesus has called us to, I want you to hear me very clearly. Our Lord and Savior, the creator of the universe, says this life is lived best when we live it this way. That this is where the abundant life is that's full of joy in the way that God created us to live. And so the who cares is Jesus says this is the way he designed you to live. And it's the best possible way to live this life. And so to me, that's a pretty big who cares, right? That Jesus calls us to this. And so we're going to think about this idea this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. And two questions I'm going to ask, real simple, straightforward. First of all, who are we? Who does he say that we are? And he tells us some pretty important things about who we are. And then secondly, we're going to think about what does it look like to live this out? Who are we? And then what does it look like to live this out together? And so with this idea, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 together. Who are we that he says that we are? And before we even get to that, we need to at least think about who Peter's writing to. He's going to say some pretty big things about who we are, but we have to understand who he's actually writing to and who he's talking about. And so look at the very beginning, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, who he's writing to. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's writing to the believers, those that have been born again in Jesus Christ, right? Through the resurrection, what Christ has done that have been made new, new creations, a new uh, life has been breathed in. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. God has caused us to become alive. We are now a new people in Jesus. It's what we call the church. I'll say this frequently when we say it a lot here. If you've ever been here, I'll say this a lot. I say this with my kids almost daily. You don't go to church. You are the church. We say that a lot. And I don't know if you noticed as we started this morning, I said, welcome to the worship gathering of the Church of the Apostles. What that means is you are the church and we have now come together to gather together for worship. You're the church. The church is not this building. We don't go to church because we are the church. 
Right? And so it's an important distinction to make, but that's what we're talking about when we say, who is he writing to? He's writing to the people of God who've been redeemed, the church. He says it in verse 10 of chapter 2 that we're going to look at in just a second. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've become God's people through the mercy that God's given, the grace he has bestowed on us in Jesus. Because of what he's done for us in Christ, we are now new people brought to life. We were dead in our sins. We are now new people and we are united together through what Christ has done for us. And we are now a people. We are a church. We are a body. We are a family. All those language that God uses to impress that upon us. And that's who Peter's writing to. And so we have to understand who he's writing to before he says what he says about who we are. Right. So that's who he's writing to. But what does he say about who we now are? So look at first Peter, chapter two, verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up in a spiritual as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so he says we're living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And I want to just stop right there. That is so pregnant with a lot of meaningful language and pictures from the Old Testament and what God's doing and what he's calling us to. He says we're living stones and we're being built up as a spiritual house. And I want you to think about that picture that's there. We see in the Old Testament the idea that apart from Christ, apart from God entering in, bringing us to life, Ephesians 2, we're dead in our trespasses. We have a heart of stone. That's the language the Old Testament uses. But because of what God does, he brings us to life. We're now living stones. You had a heart of stone and he makes it a heart of flesh through what Christ has done for you. That's who we are as redeemed people in Jesus. We were dead and now we're alive. And he says, you're now these stones and you're being built up as a spiritual house. And I want you to think of the, the language and the image he's using. The picture that's there, that collectively together we're being built up as a spiritual house. And the image that's there, we spent a long time in Hebrews last year walking through all of this. Because of what Christ has done, the temple is no longer the house of God. God now dwells in you. We're now living stones being built up together as the house of God. Or this, this picture that we're together now the house of God. The body of Christ that dwells in this life. And this is how God makes himself known to the world through us, through his people. That's why we say it's not a building. We don't go to church. You're the church. You're the living stones being built up together as a spiritual house. Think of the image when Jesus is on the cross and what happens at the crucifixion. There used to be this temple that everybody went to to make their sacrifices. How you approach God. It's the way that God was showing the world what he was like. And it was the holy of holies that no one could enter except the high priest once a year where the glory of God dwelt. What does the scripture tell us happens when Jesus dies on the cross? When he ends the separation of man and God through what he does on our behalf, through his sacrifice on the cross, it says Jesus says it is finished as he bows his head at the last moment, having taken the wrath of God on our behalf. Emptying God's wrath on behalf of all those that would put their faith in him. And it says, as he bowed his head and he says, it is finished. It says, the veil in the temple is torn in two. It's ripped open and it's laid bare. God's glory no longer dwells in this building, but it goes out because of what Jesus has done. 
The Holy Spirit now takes up residence in you. He brings you to life, a dead stone, now a living stone. And we're built together as a spiritual house. Do you see the picture? You are now the church. And so he tells us that and the picture that's there. But here's where I want you to think about this idea of our up relationship with God, our in relationship with one another in the body and our out relationship to the world. Think about how this starts to change now. God now dwells in us and built up together as living stones. We make the church and we show the world what that's like. Do you see how those go together? Our up relationship with God is growing as we come close together and live together. He tells us that right here in the image that he uses. You're living stones that are being built up as a spiritual house. Us together. Do you see the picture? The up and the in are so integrally linked together. That we're growing up in that together. And that's the picture that he begins to show us. And so when we begin to function as the church, is I have a personal relationship with Jesus and I do my quiet time and I do my Bible study and I'm good, we are missing a huge part of what it's called to be part of the church. It's not just an individual relationship. There's a community aspect that God has built into who we are the way we were made, the way we're built to function. And when we miss that, we're missing a huge piece of what it looks like. When we talk that way, when we use language like I have a personal relationship with God and that's private. You didn't get that from the Bible. You got that from our culture. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what he calls us to. We're to be integrally linked together. And he tells us that's the picture of the way we're showing the world. The house of God is the living stones that are being built up together as a spiritual house. Do you see that picture that's there? Who you now are in Christ. You're part of God's family. We're part of this together as we grow and walk and worship and do all those things together. Think of all the images that God uses. Right? He says you're the body of Christ. Right? Paul lays that out in 1 Corinthians so well. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Right? He tells us we're so integrally linked together. The body of Christ is this living thing together, all of us, the spirit dwelling in each one who's come to Christ. And then we come together built up into this spiritual house. Do you see how the up and the end go together? Start to see how they're linked together. But then look at the next thing he says. Your living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you start to go, what does he mean by that? Are we now the priesthood and that we offer sacrifices and we redo the temple and all? No, we, we saw clearly in Hebrews that's now gone. Jesus has ended all that. He's the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. He's the high priest, our one and only high priest. The intermediary between God and man is now Jesus and nothing else. And so he's not telling us we're now going to take the place of the priesthood in the temple. But he's saying we are the priesthood in a very real way. Think about what the priesthood did before. They represented the people to God. They went and made sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were living constantly in that place close to God's presence there. He says, that's now you. You have access to God through Jesus constantly. And instead of offering sacrifices on behalf of people, you point people to the one who's finished it and completed it in Jesus. You're now the priesthood that gets to point to Jesus with every person you're seeing and coming into contact with. That's who we now are. 
We're part of this priesthood and we get to offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does that look like? We're not actually physically offering sacrifices anymore. We're not going to the temple and offering animal and blood sacrifices and all those things the priesthood did. So what are we doing now? I think Paul tells us pretty clearly in Romans chapter 12. Listen to what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does Paul say? We collectively together present our bodies as a living sacrifice. All of our lives now become the sacrifice that points us more fully to who God is. The spiritual house, living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a priesthood to point people to what God's like. He now allows us to be part of that. But notice the way Paul says it. And this is where we will miss it because of our culture. Our cultural blinders will help will hold this away from us oftentimes. Listen to what Paul says. Present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You hear that? Together, we present a sacrifice. All of our lives, all of our bodies. Yes, there's individual component to that, but there's a picture of the body together presenting sacrifice to who God is. Do you see that? We're to work together in that. That's the way God's designed us. You see the same thing here when he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Right? Individual stones being built into this house, the church together to proclaim what he's like. So do you see how our up, our relationship with God, is so integrally tied with our in relationship to one another? Together we do that. Do you see that, how those go together? Our entire lives uh, being discipled. We say discipleship is bringing every area of your life under the lordship of Jesus. Presenting your entire life as a sacrifice together. That that's what we're called to do as the church as we begin to walk that out and live that out together. And so you see the up and the in and the out. It's like a, a rope. Three strands so tied together they go perfectly together. You don't have one without the other. And you say, well, yeah, yeah, I see up and I see in and we need one another. But how does that work with the out? The out, how do we proclaim to the world? Well, look at what he says. He tells you. He tells you what it looks like. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. By the way, holy nation means holy ethnos. Right? You're a new ethnic group together. Isn't that really cool to think about? That as the church, we're, we're literally like a new people. And it's not about your culture or where you came from, but it's who you are in Jesus that makes you part of this new people, this holy nation, this new ethnic group. It transcends culture. It's not about culture. It's about who we are in Jesus and what he's done. That's who we now are. And he says that's who we are, this holy ethnos, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. I'm going to build you up into this spiritual house and you're going to present your lives. You're going to live this way and love and care and walk with one another so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who's made you this people. Do you see that? Our growing in relationship with God and with one another is to the ends of proclaiming to the world who God is and what he's done. 
You see that the up and the in and the out, they all go together. There's no separating them out. He'll go on to say it even in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, you're going to live this way. You're going to live differently. You're going to show what God's like so that when people see that they're going to end up glorifying God. Do you see that? How all three go together. It's not one versus the other versus the other. They're all three integrally linked together. Our relationship with God, with one another to the world, they all go together. We're called to do that. We're called to be this people that shows what God's like. In the way that we love and care and walk together. In the way that we go on mission together. We're to do all three and that's the picture that's there. And he gives you this picture of what the church looks like. What we are, the people. Not this building or programs, but the people. You're the church. We together are the church. To love and care and make much of Jesus to the ends of showing the world what he's like. Do you see how all three go together? You can't separate them out. And so I want you just to think about that picture of what does that look like day to day. And by the way, this is big picture kind of overview. In the next several weeks, we're going to talk about different ways this comes uh, to bear. The way it works out. And so if you go, yeah, yeah, I kind of got the big idea, but I'm not sure what this looks like. That's okay, because the next several weeks we're going to walk through that. And we're going to continue to look at what that looks like. But I want you just to think big picture. What does this look like in your life? Maybe just baby steps today. We're not going to flesh it all out perfectly right now in the next five or ten minutes. But I want you to at least think about it. And I want to ask a couple questions as we think about the application of what does it look like to live this out together to the ends of proclaiming what God's like. And I want you, as you maybe take stock at the end of the year and you look ahead to next year. Your New Year's resolutions. And you think about what that looks like. Let me just ask a couple of questions. Do you believe that you need other believers in your life walking with you to do this? Do you believe that? Do you believe what God says when he says this is the picture? We're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice together. That we're going to be living stones built up into a spiritual house to proclaim what he's like. Do you believe that we need one another? Do you believe that you need correction and accountability and people encouraging you and walking with you and helping you in this? That it's easier to show the world what true love and care for one another looks like together than it does separately. In fact, I would say to you, it's impossible on your own. It's impossible to do things like when Jesus says, You'll, they'll know my disciples by the way you love each other. You can't do that by yourself. That's impossible. And so do you believe that that's true? But then the next question I want to ask is, is this essential to you in your life? And are you making time for it? You can say, I believe it. I believe it with my head. And I say, yeah, I see that. And I see that God says that, but I don't have time for this. I'm too busy. And to that, I would say, if that's where we are, then you don't really believe it. That's the hard truth of the Bible. It tells us this over and over. That when we believe something, action comes out of it. And so we can go, yeah, yeah, that's great. And we need community and we should do that. And we should be offering our bodies together. I'll see you next Sunday. Or in two Sundays. 
or maybe next month. And the truth is, when we function that way, I don't think we really believe this is true. Or I want to ask the question, when you look back on 2015 in your life, do you see this as essential? Walking with the body together. Has that been an essential part of your life, in your mission, in your growth with your father? Has that been an essential part of it? Or do you have to strain really hard to think of different times where you intersected with other believers in your life to the ends of proclaiming what God's like? And so I just want you to think about that. Take stock of your own life and what that looks like. Can you think of direct areas in your life where God has gifted you and you used your gifts to build up the body of Christ? Do just ideas pop right to your mind on how you're doing that? Or do you have to strain really hard to think of different ways where that's been? And so you just think through those things for a second. And you may struggle with what that looks like or how I engage or what is that? How does that happen? And that's okay. I'm not saying any of these things. The good news is I'm not saying any of these things to bring condemnation on you. You go, oh man, I stink. I don't do any of this. Good news. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't love you any less if you're not doing this well. He's not disappointed with you. He's not going, oh, I just can't believe they're such a mess. He loves you completely and totally right now. So the good news is that's not the point of this. The point is where we started at the beginning. Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. This is the way it works best. This is where your greatest joy will be. This is who you now are in Christ. And we get to live this way. Very different than condemnation that you're not doing it. It's no, we get to do this. And it's better when we do. And so I want you to think through all those things. And maybe you're not sure what it sounds like, exactly what it looks like, where to start. And so I just want to make a real, real simple challenge to you. Each one of us, eat, if you're me anyway, you eat 21 meals a week. Maybe more, right? Don't skip many. Maybe you do. Maybe you only have 15 or 18 or 12 or whatever. Maybe you're way, way better. But I want you just to think about, is it possible in your schedule right now that you can begin to share a meal with someone else in the body? Someone outside your immediate family that you live with, that you see all the time. But is it possible you can begin to do that? Can you make time in your schedule that you can share a meal with someone else in the body? That is a tiny little baby step, but it's a start. That we begin to spend time together. And then as we do, you begin to ask, how can I pray for you? What's going on this week? Where are you not believing that God, what God has said in your life and in your heart right now? And you begin to encourage one another and walk that way. That's a tiny little step. But I would bet that there's no one here that can't make time for one meal a week for that to happen. And so I just challenge you as you look at the beginning of the year. If you say, yes, I see that this is what God calls us to and this is what it looks like and I need this. So what step are you going to take to make that happen? Can you do that? Can you begin to see opportunities like that? By the way, if you struggle and you go, I don't know how that would work and I'm not sure how. Guess what? Today is covered dish Sunday. Right? You can walk out the doors and you can take a right and you can go sit down at a table and you got your meal covered for this week. Right? And if you get really bold, maybe you sit down at the table and you talk to the people around you and you say, how can I pray for you? Groundbreaking, right? 
mind blowing. We would start to operate as we're called to. And I know a lot of you, you're way past that and you've done that a lot and you're doing that and that's great. But maybe we need the first step. How do we begin to do that? How do we bless others with the gift that God's given to us if we don't live in close proximity together and we're never together? You can't do it. And so what are the steps we begin to take? The meals together, beginning to speak the truth to one another, encourage one another. And then as that grows, and we're going to come back to this in the following weeks, but I'm just going to uh, a trailer for what's to come. As we begin to spend time together and walk together, what would it look like if we started to say together, collectively praying with one another? Who is God sending us to? Who can we invite in to what we're doing right here? As we love and care and walk together, who can we now be on mission for? That as we begin to love one another and care for the ways God's called us to, who can we invite into this that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of the darkness together? And so we start to look at that big picture of what happens. And as we start to do that, I'm going to tell you, as we start to walk together in those ways, and we start to go, okay, this is who we're sent to together. And we start to pray for those things together. And we start to be outwardly focused and looking out. You know what happens? You grow in your relationship with God because you get stretched beyond what you can do. You grow in your relationship together because you go, I don't know how to do this. I need your help. Right? See, when we start to put outwardly focused on mission, guess what happens? The up and the in start to grow with it. When we start with mission community gets thrown in. If we just stick with community, you don't get mission. Not always, not usually. If we just say we're going to get together and love each other and spend time together, we're going to do the up and the in and we'd have no thought to the out. Guess what happens? We just do the up and the in. And we love each other and we care for one another, but we don't proclaim the excellencies to the world around us. And so it's all three together. And so I want you just to think about that picture and what that looks like as we end. I'm going to ask you, uh, you don't have to do it. Uh, It's kind of your homework, I guess. Uh, We'll see maybe if you come back next week. (laughs) But when we think about this, I want you just to stop this week as you think about this past year and looking ahead to this year. Take inventory on where you are on all three of those. How is your relationship with the Father right now? How is your relationship with the body that God's placed you in? And how is your relationship with the out, the mission? I would love for this up and in and out to be such a common language that we begin to speak to each other that way. What are you on mission to? Who's God sending you to? And who's going with you? And what does that look like? And what are you guys doing? That every person in our body could tell you explicitly, this is who I'm on mission with, and this is who we're sent to, and this is how God's showing up, and this is how we're seeing him. That's the picture that's here. And so when I think about the image of that, as I say this often, it's not to burden you with things, it's not to put things on you. I desperately want you to live this life abundantly. That means in close community, growing in your relationship with the Father to the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we do this together for 2016? That we said we're going to be on mission together for the glory of God to the ends of the earth. 
that we're going to grow in all these areas and we're going to be pushed beyond what we can do. So God has to show up and do it. That's that's what I want. That's what I so desperately want for this year. That it'd be so big that there's no way we can do it without him showing up. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we are a people that has received mercy. I thank you for that fact. That we were once not a people, but we are now your people. That we once, uh, that we have now received mercy. I pray that our lives would be an overflow of that fact. That you would show us, that you would teach us, that you would lead us. I pray that you give us great creativity. Even today, that you would plant the seeds of what this would look like right now in our body. How we would grow in each one of those together. How we would spur one another on in our relationship with you. How we'd be creative on how we're going to reach out to the people around us. I pray that you'd give us great big dreams of what that looks like. That you have to show up and do what we could never do. That we would walk in your spirit for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.